0: To show or remind us that God is above all things, above every situation, every circumstance, every disease, given the season, every politician, every storm, and always present in the church and always in charge. Praise God. Does anybody believe that today? Praise God. The Bible is one of God's gifts, greatest gifts to us, because we can look through it and see firsthand accounts from others that have similar situations. Praise God. Has anybody been in a situation and you thumb through the Bible to find somebody, hey, has anybody ever gone through this? Am I alone? And so you might be listening here or online, and you may be asking yourself, hey, where is God in this circumstance? Where is God in this situation? Where, you know, where is he? What's he doing? I can't, I can't hear him. I can't feel him. And so we don't really have to look too far into the Bible before we get to the story of Job. How many ever read the story, the book of Job? Right, so we know that Job, he lost everything lost his kids, lost his livelihood, his animals, a lot of his servants. Uh, his wife was spared, so I don't know what that means. No, I know what it means. It, mean, it means that, it means we need a good woman in our life. Right? That's what it means. It means we need a good woman in our life to help us. Unfortunately for Job, he, she his wife had a little lapse in judgment and was trying to get him to curse God and die and but no, we need a good wife. Yeah. Praise God. And he didn't lose his life, but Job literally lost everything else. And so I look at, you know, I look into the audience and I kind of know a lot of you and I know a lot of your stories and, and most of us, we've never lost everything. You know, we've never lost all of our kids, all of our, our livelihood, our homes, you know, everything that we would hold dear or, you know, consider uh, worth holding on to from worldly standards. You know, we've probably never been where Job has been. Um, but we can, we can look at Job's life and be like, man, this guy, he lost it all. And so we can at least compare ourselves a little bit uh, to Job because we've all been in different situations where we've lost things or where we've wondered where God was. And so toward the end of Job, we pick up in a conversation that Job is having in Job chapter 23, verses 8 through 12. And Job says, behold, I go forward, but he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, but th- that I cannot see him. So we've all been here. Has anybody ever tried to go forward? You're like, I just know I need to go forward. And I know God's, for, he, he, you know, Paul said, hey, i forgetting those things which are behind. I'm going to press forward. And we try to go forward and we're like, well, God, I, I still don't feel you. I, I don't see you. And so we're like, we look to the left hand, and we're like, "God, I know You're working in the world. I think I just..." and He's not, you know, you can't feel Him, can't see Him. You look over on the right hand, and and you're like, "No, maybe never mind. I'm not going to look over there." And then you're like, "Maybe I'll turn back," and, and you just, just God's nowhere to be found, uh, and you can't see Him, you can't perceive Him. Uh, he's just, He's not there. But thank God, the Bible doesn't just stop there. He continues on and in verse ten. He says, "But He knoweth the way that I take." When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And the question would be is, how could Job be so confident that when after he's tried, he could come, become, come forth as gold? And this is the key in verse 11 and 12. He says, my foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so Job... At the end of all of this, and maybe even before all of the things that had happened to him, Job had a wonderful understanding that God is above all things, that God is in charge, and that no matter what I'm going through, hey, I just got to hold to the words of his mouth. I need to, his word has got to be more important than my necessary food for the day. Praise God. All right, this is a a 30-part question. Locate this verse, and Jesus came and spake unto them interruption. Does anybody have any ideas where this verse in our Bible would be located? And Jesus came and spake unto them interruption. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere, so it's in there somewhere. It sounds like King James, so it's got to be in there. Yes. Right, so this could be anywhere in the Gospels, but this would be the last time Jesus would speak with them like this. And in verse, 20, or in verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus said unto them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And usually we're pretty okay with the in heaven piece. We, we never look up into heaven and be like, well, you know, I mean, we just sort of kind of just give it to God that, you know, yeah, God, you're in control of the heavens. We just kind of move on and don't really think much of that. But the in-earth part, sometimes we're like, you know, we look around and we're like, God, are you, you know, God, are you really in control down here? Do you know what's going on? You know, do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? you know what people are doing? You know, God, where are you? But Jesus said, hey, all power, all power is mine. Not just a little bit, not just some of it, not just sometimes, but all times, Jesus has all power. Praise God. And so no one has any power other than what God has allowed for a given purpose or season. And I was thinking that, you know, you know James and Sarah Chester, they have all the Broncos paint and manning jerseys, which means nobody else has paint and manning jerseys. <laughs> and so if you ever see him wearing one, you know that they ran out of laundry and they need help with their laundry. <laughs> Praise God. But, but Jesus has all the power. And he continues on, he says, and because Jesus has all the power, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And to which the apostles may have, you know, asked, you know, hey, Jesus, what about my earth, this earthly kingdom that I thought you were going to set up? What about, you know, all of the, you know, everything that's going on right now? You know, we're still under, you know, Roman rule, Roman persecution. And to which Jesus would have replied and is still replying 2,000 years later. Verse 18, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so go do what I told you to do. Go teach. Go baptize. Observe all the things and then he remi- would remind us again that I am with you always, always, even to the end. No matter what happens in between, no matter what's happening right now, I'm going to be with you because I have all the power until the end. Praise God. Paul to the church in Philippi, he said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. This verse references things in heaven. And obviously when we think about heaven, we're like, you know, angels. But things, meaning even the heavens itself, are subject to the name of Jesus. Disease, sin, hell, even death itself are subject to the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. And not just power, but all power. Not just a little, not just some, not just sometimes, but all the time and all power. And this power lies in the fact that all the Godhead was and is in Jesus. Jesus wasn't a piece of God, a part of God, co-equal with God, but was the one true God clothed behind a veil of flesh so that he could dwell among us, praise God, and so that we could behold his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, praise God. Colossians 2, in uh, 9 through 15, it says, For in him, this is talking about Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I think when Paul was writing this, I don't think he was thinking about that there would need to be future councils, hundreds of books written. But in a very short, distinct statement, Paul wrapped up who Jesus was, that in Jesus dwelt all of God. Praise God. And he was bodily. And what Paul was saying there was that Paul was saying that the body that either you, that those people that he was writing to, you know, some of them may have seen Jesus. Some of them may only have heard about Jesus, much like us today. But him walking around, doing miracles, was crucified and rose from the dead, was God. Praise God. And in verse 10, it says, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, which we know is baptism, which verse 12 clarifies that. It says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. In the crux of all this, in verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them. Because he had all the power, he could do all of that. Because he had all the power, no matter the depth of our sin, no matter the depth of the sin of the world, he could make a shoe of it openly. It wasn't anything for God to come and be that sacrifice because he had all the power. Praise God. And so if you ever find yourself asking, where is God? Or if you've ever been in a situation, you may currently be in a situation right now where you're, you know, hey, where is God? What's he doing? What's he up to? I'd love to feel him. I'd love to see him. I'd love to hear his voice. I'd love to know what's going on. I feel like Peter in Second Peter gives us some good advice that he gave the first, first century church. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 1, he says, says Simon Peter, he says, a servant. So the first good place to start is that if you're trying to figure out where God is, what God's up to, trying to hear where he's at, make yourself a servant. Figure out how to serve. Figure out where to get involved in his kingdom and just start serving. And you're going to run into Jesus. He says, in an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Has anybody obtained some like precious faith this morning? Amen. Praise God. With us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so Peter is reminding that first century church, and he's really reminding us today that, hey, you've obtained some precious faith, some grace, some peace, some knowledge, some promises, okay? And then he gives us some secret sauce. How many like secret sauce? Praise God. How, many, yeah, how many like to know what the secret recipe is? Like, what is that Q39 secret, you know? What is in that rub that they put together? It's like, this is good stuff, right? It's a good. No, no. <laughs> but they can't tell you. The good news is, is that the Bible lets us in on some secret sauce. And in verse 5 it says, besides this, besides this precious faith, besides all of these promises, this knowledge, this grace that's been given unto us, Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And so what Peter's saying here, he's saying, don't focus on your problems. Don't focus on the fact that you can't hear God, that you're maybe questioning whether he's got all the power or not. He says, but focus on your faith. Don't focus on what, the negative things that are going on, but focus on your faith. And to your faith, add to it. And he says, add virtue. And so what this word virtue here in the Greek it is encompassing a behavior showing high moral standards in thought, and feeling, and action, and it encompasses a, this spirit of modesty and purity. And in the Greek, if you ever looked at this Greek word, virtue, it, it looks almost like the English word appetite. And if you think about that, well, that, you know, oftentimes what we feed ourselves is often what we become. If you, you know, if you hang out in Hollywood, you're going to start looking like Hollywood. If you hang out in the church, you're going to start looking like Jesus. And so what you feed yourself, you know, it's going to play into it. Um, But he said, add to your faith this virtue, this behavior of high moral standards in, in your thoughts, in your feelings, in your actions, and have some modesty about you, Peter's saying, and some purity. And then he says, and to all of that, to this virtue, add knowledge. And so, this is gleaned from firsthand personal experience, connecting theory to application. So, this is what, you know, oftentimes we refer to as application knowledge gained in by a direct relationship. And so, Peter's saying, get some applicable experience by obeying God. And if you've ever walked with God for any amount of time, the more that you walk with him, the more experience that you get. The more things that you're going to go through, the more things that you're going to have in your personal journals and your prayer journals and different things that you're going to be able to look back on and be like, hey, I got this, look at all the things that, that God has done for me. And I can then, when I'm in a new storm or a new season, I can look back on those things and I can remember that personal experience That, hey, I know that God has power. I know that he he said he's got all power, but I can look back and I can see. I can see those prayers that were answered. I can see those times where I remember hearing God's voice and hearing his plan for my life. And you can glean from that. And Peter's reminding us, hey, add, add to that faith. Add to that virtue, knowledge. And then he says, add some temperance. I mean, yeah, temperance, which we all love. (laughs) <laughs> Don't we? we love controlling ourselves? <laughs> so, this is self control, spirit controlled, and can only be accomplished by the power of the Lord. This is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so, the, so Peter's saying, Hey, we've got to master the self, we've got to deny the self, we've got to push self down. If you're going to hear from God, if you're going to know where God is, if you're going to experience his power, You've got to push yourself down. You've got to push yourself out of the way. Paul said that I die daily. He had to get out of the way. Praise God. And to that, patience. And so this is, I've read this chapter, and I had probably memorized this as a kid going through Bible quizzing. um, But sometimes, you know, these English words don't always have, you know, really the, the best, you know, encompassing, experience behind that word that you know the Greek had or the Hebrew had and so um, by no means am I you know, I have an internet <laughs> so you, know, you can go out and just look at these Greek and Hebrew words and try to get a better understanding so there's so you should do that sometimes all I'm saying I guess But what this word patience is really encompassing is that it's a remaining under, that it's an endurance, it's a steadfastness. And then it says, especially as God enables the believer to remain or endure under the challenges he allots in life. And so Peter wasn't just saying, you know, have some patience when your kid is screaming at you and whining and crying, you know, when you're on a long car ride, have some patience. Now, Peter was saying, you know, hey, church, there's going to be some trials that God brings into your life. And you need to add to your faith the ability just to remain under. So many times we're praying, you know, God, we know that you have all the power. God, just take this storm away from me. Take this situation away from me. God, get me, get me out of here, you know. Just, just remove all this stuff that's happening. And God's like, no, I sent it. <laughs> I sent it to you. <laughs> remain under it. I have all the power. I, it's all mine. I'm in control. You just need to remain under it. Just trust that I have all the power and remain. And then he says, and to this remaining, add some godliness. And this is someone's inner response to the things of God, which shows itself in godly reverence. A God heart response. And so this is going to naturally express itself in reverence for God. You know, the things that God calls sacred, we're going to start calling sacred. The things that God is displeased with, not happy with, are going to be the things that we're not going to be happy with. And so Peter's saying, add this to your faith. And then in verse 7, he says, into uh, this godliness, brotherly kindness, which often, you know, we're usually, for the most part, you know, we've all, we all have our moments, and I'm just as guilty. And, and, and because I'm transparent, you guys get to hear a lot about those. I'm sorry. It helps me. It helps my wife. <laughs> she has to live with me. Um, praise God. Um, but affectionate. For fellow believers. God wants us to love each other, praise God, and turn and look next to each other. God wants us to love each other, okay, and we need to add that to our faith, okay? It's not just faith that we need to have, but we need to add some things to our faith, and one of those is loving each other, and not only loving each other, which usually is really easy to do, you know, unless you just do something that I don't agree with, um, but loving people that aren't fellow believers, the people that we live next to in our neighborhoods, the people that we work next to on our jobs, that this is an agape love uh, that God is calling us to. The, God, the, the kind of love that God loved us when we were sinners with. Um, and so this is a love that despite who they are, what they are, what they look like, what they've done, what they haven't done, what they've said, what they haven't said, we have to love them. And then he says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that... Y- Ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, in verse 10, he says, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And then the secret sauce is, is for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And sometimes when we get ourselves into these life situations where we start, God, where are you? (laughs) What are you doing? Do you really have all the power? As we stand this morning, we just need to start adding to our faith. And if we can learn to get ourselves in this cycle of adding to our faith the things that Peter's talking about here, at some point in doing that, you're going to run into Jesus. (laughs) You're going to run into his power. You're going to run into the word that he gave you, praise God, or you're going to run into that promise those great and exceeding promises that God had that he's spoken to, you're going to run into those. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus.